we got three boys in my family, uh, three little boys. If you're our guests, you may not know, know that, nine, seven, and four. So when we have movie night at our house, there's a lot of uh, swords and lasers and explosions. And so if they're, they're picking the movie, or frankly, if I'm picking the movie, there's going to be a hobbit destroying a ring of evil in the fires of Mount Doom. Okay, so we don't do anything that's not violent and intense, okay? But every once in a while, Mama gets to pick a movie, and when Mama picks a movie, there's kissing. <laughs> they hate it. All right, they hate it. Mom! So the other night, we put the boys down early, and I let Lindsay pick the movie. We were going to have a little stay-at-home date night, and Lindsay picked the movie. And she picked this movie. It's a romantic musical. So I was struggling from the beginning. Struggling. But I'm going to try to hang with her. I love her. I love her, so I'm going to hang with her. And the movie starts on this crowded freeway in California, cars just bumper to bumper traffic. And these two people who are strangers, a guy and a girl strangers, don't know each other, end up side by side in this traffic and they lock eyes and they see each other for the first time. And from that moment, you know, they're going to be together, right? But not then, okay? They, they go their separate ways, never going to see each other again, so they think. And then they bump into each other again. She's walking down the street late one night. <clears throat> she hears this jazz music playing from a little Italian restaurant. It's the most beautiful thing she's ever seen. And so she, she peeks her head into that restaurant. And there he is, the same guy from the highway, is playing the keys. And they lock eyes for a second, but they don't, they don't meet in that moment. They go their separate ways again. And the next day, she's at this party. And at this house party, there's a little house band playing at the party. And on the keys, there he is playing. And so they're going to have a conversation. And they talk that day. And after the party, they're walking out to their cars together. The moonlight's in the sky. And they sing and they dance together under the moonlight. And you just know this is meant to be. And then they go to the movies. And they wind up at the same movies. And they're sitting side by side. And their, their hands are on their knees. And their, their pinkies are getting closer and closer. You know what I'm talking about? Until finally their, their pinkies, just their pinkies touch. And then slowly they kind of work their hands over like this until finally they're holding hands and all is right in the world at that moment. This is how it's supposed to be, okay? It starts this beautiful romance that they have. But of course, of course, this is a movie. Of course, they break up. There's got to be a little tension in the movie. Something they have to overcome. So they break up and they go their separate ways. But you know what? What, what do you know? They're going to get back together. And sure enough, they do. The stars align. This force just greater than they can imagine brings them back together and it brings them back together for one great thing. And then the movie goes to like five years later. And you just can't wait. You're going to see their happy little family. And you know what it is instead? It's the two of them married to other people. Right? When it ended, I looked at my wife and I said, what did you just do to me? Not only a romance, but a musical, but they don't end up together? How can you sing about that, right? Uh, why is it? Why is it that a movie like that gets under our skin? We just know it's not supposed to end that way. It's not supposed to end like that, right? Why is it? Why is it you and I just know that in our heart? that sad stories aren't supposed to end that way. Let me take you to a story in the book of Acts. Our church has been in a series in Acts, and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Acts a little bit differently. We're starting a brand new series, but it's still going to be based in Acts. It's called What's It All Mean? And, and I hope that you'll come back and we talk about the meaning of life and purpose in life. 
But Acts is about the first people who believed in Jesus. And one of those was a guy named Philip. Now let me share this story with you about Philip and a fellow named or called the Ethiopian eunuch. According to church history, his name is Simeon. We know him as the Ethiopian eunuch. Check out this story with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, the one that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. For the record, that's somebody who can't have children. Can't have children. He was an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so... Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, Look, right here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into that water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. That is how a story is supposed to end. Rejoicing. How do we get there to that point? Let me talk to you about these two guys in this story. Both of these guys, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, are heroes of mine. And you need your heroes in this life. My boys run around the yard shooting each other with spider webs and destroying rings and Mount Doom and stuff. You gotta have your heroes. Let me talk about these two because they're heroes. The first is Philip. Philip was a servant in the early church. In Acts chapter six, he's given this job of taking care of widows, making sure widows have all that they need. That's his job and he does it really well. But then the early church starts getting persecuted. Stephen, he's the first Christian martyr, is killed. And when he's killed, the Christians know they need to get out of Dodge, and so they flee. And Philip is one of those who flees. He goes into Samaria, and we're told he goes from servant to preacher, evangelist, missionary. And he starts preaching in Samaria, and we're told that a whole town was filled with joy because of his preaching. And then he has this encounter with this guy named Simon the sorcerer, and Philip is the reason that Simon is converted. And then we come to this scene where God tells Philip to go and one-on-one -on -one disciple, one-on-one -on -one Bible study. It's the first time that we have that in scripture, a one-on-one -on -one Bible study where someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ through a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. Is that the story for anybody in this room? Philip was the first guy to ever do that. And he goes because God tells him to go. It's awesome. It's awesome. He's a hero of mine. And then you got the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, I told you, Church history tells us his name is Simeon. Uh, I was reading this story back in February as I was thinking about what I might preach on Easter Sunday. And 
February, as you know, is Black History Month. And it's worth pointing out this morning that as far as we know, Simeon, the Ethiopian eunuch, is the first black Christian. First black Christian. And he's a pretty incredible guy. He's successful. He's wealthy. He's affluent. He's in the queen's upper tier, her cabinet in the government, where he is in Ethiopia, which at the time was kind of southwest of where Ethiopia is today, sub-Saharan Africa. He's wealthy enough that he can afford his own chariot and his own scrolls, which nobody could afford back then, but he can. He's got all that wealth and all that success, and yet he takes off months, maybe as much as a year from work, to travel over a thousand miles one way to get to Jerusalem to worship God, okay? So he's got all the success and wealth in the world, and yet he thinks someone else is more important than him, and he's going to worship him. He's going to sacrifice everything else and go. Like, this is a pretty awesome guy. You got these two heroes here. And as great as these two guys are, though, this is what I want you to see. It is the story of someone greater than them that brings them together. You see that? It is the story of someone greater. Good news about who? Jesus. That brings these two guys together. Did you notice what he's reading? Have you ever had one of those experiences where you're reading something in Scripture and you can't make sense of it? Did you notice what he's reading? He's reading Isaiah 53. If you got your Bible, you might mark that. He's reading from Isaiah 53. And you may be wondering to yourself, like, why? Why Isaiah 53? There's a lot of places he could be reading from. Why is he reading from Isaiah 53? And I think that the reason he's reading from Isaiah 53 on his way home from Jerusalem is that the whole way to Jerusalem, he was probably reading from Isaiah 56, okay? Because of all the passages in Scripture, Isaiah 56 is the one that is about him. If he was, if he was a, a guy who was going to tattoo some passage of Scripture on himself, let me back that up. If he was Brecian, he would have Isaiah 56 tattooed, Okay? Let me show you why I think he was reading Isaiah 56. Look at this with me. Let no foreigner, what is he? He's a foreigner. He's not an Israelite. He's an Ethiopian. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord, that's him. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch, which is him, Complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who hold fast to my covenant. To them I'll give within my temple. Pay attention to that. And within its walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. What is the fear of the eunuch? Because he can't have kids. He doesn't have family. His fear is he'll be forgotten. He won't last Nobody's going to remember him. And the promise is, I will remember you. In fact, I will make it so everyone remembers you. Keep reading this. Look at this. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to love the name of the Lord and be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. Do you know what the house of prayer is? This would be the temple. Okay, he's read enough of his Bible to know that there is a lot in the Bible that says 
as a foreigner and as a eunuch, he is likely going to be excluded from the things in the world God is doing. And he desires more than anything else in the world, despite all of the success he has, he desires the joy that in this one passage is on offer for him. The joy that apparently he doesn't have in his life because he quits everything. He leaves everything else for maybe as long as a year to go all the way to Jerusalem thinking that maybe this is the time where the God who has excluded people like me has finally included me. And he's finally gonna give me a name that's gonna last forever. I'm gonna get to come into his temple and worship him. And I'm gonna be filled with the joy that I have wanted all my life and haven't had yet. I'm sacrificing everything to go there and get that. But you know what? There is not a chance they let him in the temple. Not a chance. As a foreigner, the best he could hope for when he got to the temple to worship the Lord was to be let on the outside edge, which was called the court of the Gentiles. But the fact was he was a eunuch and they wouldn't have even have let him in there because it would have defiled the whole temple. So this guy has traveled for months and months at a great cost to himself, sacrificed time, money, and all else to get there and worship God. He gets to the doors and they say, no, you can't come in. Think about this. This is like, I'm a baseball fan. This is like, let's say the uh, Boston Red Sox are in the World Series. And um, you are a big Red Sox fan. And so you buy a ticket, game seven of the World Series, it's an expensive ticket. You, you spend a couple thousand dollars, you are going to this game. You buy an airline ticket, you're gonna fly out there, you get a hotel, you sacrifice, you take off of work to go to this game and you get there to the arena to the stadium, you walk up to the doors and they tell you, uh, no, mm -mm, that ticket's no good, that's no good. But there's a bar down the street. If you go to that bar down the street, you may be able to watch the game on the TV, which would not be the same, right? The best he could have hoped for when he got to Jerusalem at great cost to himself to worship the Lord, the best he could have hoped for was that a synagogue down the street would let him in for a few minutes to worship with them. There is no way he would have gotten into the temple to the actual presence of God. No way. And so he is reading from a passage that is immediately next to Isaiah 56. Like he went there hoping for joy and what he would have left with is rejection. And he is trying to figure out why. Why isn't this the time that the Lord promised to change my story and make it right? And so he was reading Isaiah 56 all the way there. He's reading Isaiah 53 and other passages on the way home. Let me give you another metaphor if you're not a baseball person. And if you're not, I'm sorry. Let's imagine that you found the perfect house, perfect house. You meet with your realtor at the house and you tour the house, you go in and out and it is the most amazing house you've ever been in. And just from the moment you walk in the front door, you can just see your whole family being raised in this house. Like you could see your kids running down the hall, wrestling on a sofa over here. There's this door, uh, the doorpost in the laundry room. And you could just imagine yourself like marking how tall the kids are on the wall. And there's this little breakfast nook. And you can just imagine you and your spouse holding hands in the morning, drinking coffee in that breakfast nook. Your grand 
grandkids coming home to visit this house. Just from the moment you walk in, the possibility of living in this house fills you with kind of joy you've never experienced in your life. But the realtor says, you're gonna have to make a big offer on this house, big offer. And so you go in way over asking price. You can't wait. You know this is going to work out. And then they just respond with no. No counteroffer, no negotiations, just no. And so you go from the fullness of joy to the depths of rejection and despair. So you have this idea, you say, I'm just going to walk the neighborhood. I'm just going to walk around in this neighborhood, and I hope I'm going to run into a neighbor that can make sense of this for me. Maybe a neighbor who can explain what it's going to take to get this house. Maybe they know the owner of their house, and they'll have some sway, some, some way to persuade them. I'm just going to walk the neighborhood till I meet a neighbor who can tell me what's going on. And I think that's what he's doing on his way back from Jerusalem. He's walking the neighborhood of Isaiah 56, and he lands in Isaiah 53, and he's reading about this guy who he's never met before. Look what he's reading about. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And he looks at that and he sees himself. Like here's a guy who knows humiliation like I have. Here's a guy who's deprived of justice, rejected by people he shouldn't have been rejected by, just like me. Here's a guy who has no descendants, just like a eunuch. Look at that. This is a guy who knows the depths I am in. But then he reads the next sentence. This is how that passage actually ends in Isaiah. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. And the eunuch senses, here is a guy who not only gets what is so hard and wrong about my story, but has somehow gone deeper into it than even me. And at the bottom of it, he has taken my transgressions on himself. And he wants to know who this guy is. Because if this is how the story ends, it's just another sad story. And it means nothing to him. It's just another sad story that proves really in this life, all stories end up sad. Even the best are sad. And so here comes Philip running up, we're told. <laughs> Trots up to him and he's reading this. He can't make sense of who this guy is. And Philip says to him, oh, well, let me tell you who that guy is. And he tells him the good news about Jesus. Now, what is it that makes this news good? If the news is simply that someone died, it's really not good news. But every time in the book of Acts, every time the apostles and disciples and the followers of Jesus were telling the story where they were preaching a sermon about Jesus, it would end like this. He died, or more often, you killed him by hanging him on a tree. He died for your sins, but, but... God raised him from the dead. Some version of that occurs eight times in the speeches of Acts. Every time they talk about Jesus and they tell his story, it ends like this. He died. He died humiliated, tortured, abused. He died, but, but God raised him from the dead. You probably know this, but Jesus was not the only person that was ever crucified on a Roman cross. 
Rome crucified a lot of people. Crucifixion, probably the worst form of execution humans have ever devised, was Rome's tool of wiping someone and their memory and their history from the face of the earth. And the reason we know this is that although we know thousands of people were crucified before Jesus, we do not know a single one of their names. Not a single one of their names. And yet, Philip says, you will remember him because his story does not end like theirs. He is risen. And he hears this, right? The eunuch hears this, and he's trying to figure out, what does this, what does this mean for me? Because I have this sense that changes everything. What does it mean? I mentioned the fires of Mount Doom earlier. In our family, we love Lord of the Rings. And uh, one of my favorite scenes in all of Lord of the Rings is near the very end when Sam, Samwise Gamgee, Samwise Gamgee wakes up in this bed and standing over him is Gandalf the wizard smoking a pipe. And he looks up at Gandalf and he can't make sense of this because his last memory of Gandalf was Gandalf dying. Remember this? That's the last time he saw the wizard was Gandalf dying. And then right before Sam closed his eyes for the last time, he was pretty sure he was a dead man, but he looks up and there's Gandalf right above him. And he says this, one of the greatest lines. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad? going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And I'll tell you, in Jesus Christ, we believe the answer is yes. We believe the answer is yes. I know that you come here today with hurts in your life. I know you come here today with burdens, heartbroken over loss, grief, and the story of Jesus is, it will not end that way. That his story changes every one of our stories and all it takes for you to have your sad story changed into a story that will end in redemption and life is that you would receive him, that's all. That you would receive him, believe in his name, be baptized into him. And he says, for all those who would just receive him, he gives the right to become children of God who will be raised like their big brother. He's the first fruits. He is the guarantee that all those who come after him, who are in him, will be raised just like him. And every sad story in your life will turn happy and good and right like it's supposed to. And you know it. You know it. This is true, and it's written in your heart. And I'm just asking you to believe it. It is the greatest treasure. When we say on Easter, and we do, that he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's not just a statement about what happened to him. It is a statement about our hope for us. In him, our stories end in glory. Not death, not rejection, but like the eunuch, they end in rejoicing. Great joy. Let me say a prayer over you this morning.
And God, perhaps there's someone here who has not yet believed in your name, but this morning, that hope and possibility that their stories might change, might be redeemed, restored, and even resurrected. That hope speaks to them. And perhaps in this moment, they're believing in your name. If that's the case, God, would you bring them down front? I'd love to meet them and baptize them in the waters behind me. Our desire, God, in giving ourselves to you is to glorify you above all else because in you and only in you in this life do we have hope. Nowhere else we trust, God, that in you every sad thing is coming untrue. Thanks be to God. We pray in the name of Jesus in whom we have victory. Amen.